The Metropolitan Opera Guild is the premier arts education organization dedicated to enriching the lives of children and adults through the magic and artistry of opera. To learn more about the Guild's many exciting programs and events, please visit metguild.org. Welcome to the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast. I'm your host, Naomi Baratera, and the goal of our podcast is to share knowledge and insights into the operatic art form, drawing our content from a variety of different educational programming that we have going on here at Lincoln Center in New York City. For those of you that love the Mets live in HD broadcasts and miss them during the summer months, I'm happy to inform you that theaters all over the world will be showing a Met live in HD encore presentation of Puccini's Tosca this Wednesday, June 22, 2016. The encore will feature the November 9, 2013 HD performance of Tosca with an outstanding leading duo of Roberto Alagna as Cavaradossi and Patricia Rissette in the title role. In preparation for the broadcast, we are once again reaching into the Talking About Opera archives to give you some added insight into one of Puccini's most dramatic works. So without any further delay, this is Bridget Paolucci talking about Tosca. When Giacomo Puccini had almost finished composing Tosca, he said, It's my conviction that to the best of my ability, I have expressed the drama that was before me. From the very beginning of his career, Puccini demonstrated a strong sense of theater, and in Tosca he reached new heights as a dramatist. This is Bridget Paolucci talking about Puccini's Tosca on behalf of the Metropolitan Opera Guild. Puccini's earlier works, Manon Lescaut and La Bohème, reveal his sure dramatic instincts, his ability to tell a story economically, to depict characters with sensitivity, to imbue the drama with a strong sense of place and atmosphere, to change the mood of a scene in the space of one or two notes at key moments in the opera. In Tosca, Puccini carried these techniques a step further, composing an opera of searing tension, that tension emanates from the very nature of the music, from Puccini's use of incessant repetition and abrupt contrasts, not only at key moments, but throughout the opera, and from the tightly knit orchestral commentary, commentary based on the composer's ingenious use of themes. The pace of the opera is swift, the irony forceful, the characters vivid, the emotional sweep of the melodies powerful. Tosca is based on a play by the 19th-century French dramatist Victorien Sardou, a play entitled La Tosca. Sardou was one of the most popular playwrights of his time, known for his well-constructed melodramas set in a semi-historical background. Many of his most successful works were written as vehicles for Sarah Bernhardt, the legendary French actress renowned for her golden speaking voice and her interpretation of romantic and classical tragedy. She enjoyed many of her greatest triumphs in Sardou's plays, and their collaboration proved to be mutually beneficial. La Tosca premiered in November 1887 in Paris, with Bernhardt in the title role, a role she subsequently performed on tour. Whether or not Puccini saw the play when Bernhardt performed in Italy in the spring of 1889 is a matter of conjecture. He did see her in the role six years later. 
but he certainly knew about La Tosca in 89 because he wrote to his publisher, Giulio Ricordi, and begged him to obtain the rights to Sardou's play. Ricordi took his time pursuing the rights, and then he hired Luigi Ilica to write a scenario. More time passed, and since Puccini was busy with Manon Lescaut, then with La Boheme, Ricordi turned over the scenario to another young composer, Alberto Franchetti. Franchetti had recently had a major success with his opera Cristoforo Colombo. In 1894, Ilica went to Paris to obtain Sardou's approval of the Tosca scenario. While there, he met with Giuseppe Verdi. The eminent composer, now 81 years old, was enthusiastic about the proposed opera and said he regretted being too old to write it himself. He particularly admired the hymn to life and art written for Cavaradossi to sing in the last act. Ricordi eventually decided that the La Tosca project was better suited to Puccini than Franchetti. The publisher convinced the latter to give up Sardou's play, and in August 1895 he turned it over to Puccini. By the way, the composer soon dropped the La from the title, and the opera became Tosca. Ricordi asked Giuseppe Giacosa to versify the libretto. Giacosa and Ilica had just co-authored La Boheme, but Giacosa didn't think that Sardou's play would lend itself to opera. He complained to Ricordi. It is a drama of coarse emotional events without poetry. It is completely different from Boheme, where the action is unimportant, but where there was an abundance of poetic and lyrical moments. In Tosca, there is the need to point up a chain of events, leaving little room for emotional development. Giacosa offered to resign, and Ricordi chose to ignore his offer. Giacosa was right, of course, about the nature of Tosca, in that it is different from La Boheme. Boheme is poetry. Tosca is melodrama. And Puccini composed a very different score for Tosca, a taut, fast-moving, highly theatrical score, with nothing extraneous, yet filled with compelling melodies, and finely detailed in its telling of the story. Puccini insisted that the librettists provide a compressed libretto with rapid action. Ilica and Giacosa cut Sardou's play from five acts to three, and the number of characters from 23 to nine. They reduced the historical details of the plot to just a few lines, enough to serve as a springboard for this story of two lovers and a villain. Puccini placed great importance on creating a sense of place in his operas. Tosca is set in Rome, and the opera is imbued with the grandeur and unique atmosphere of that city, a city of art and religion and a certain sensuality and fullness of life. The settings are actual buildings in Rome, buildings that reflect the rich history of the city, a 17th-century Baroque church, a Renaissance palace, and one of the great monuments of the ancient world. Appropriately, the world premiere of Tosca took place in Rome on January 14, 1900. Puccini was then 41 years old. Although critical reaction was mixed, with most critics taken aback by the brutality of the torture scene, this skillfully crafted masterpiece soon became an audience favorite and has remained popular ever since. The setting for the first act is the Church of Sant'Andrea della Valle, where a scaffold has been erected in front of an unfinished painting. The opera begins with Scarpia's theme, which consists of loud, menacing chords that instantly define his character. The curtain goes up almost immediately, and Angelotti, 
a political prisoner who has just escaped from Castel Sant'Angelo, hurries into the church. A descending, syncopated theme describes the terrified Angelotti. The juxtaposition of the oppressive Scarpia chords and the urgent Angelotti theme immediately sets the drama in motion and establishes the basic conflict of the plot, the conflict between the tyrant and those who oppose his tyranny. We begin with the Scarpia chords, followed by the Angelotti theme. As you'll hear, Angelotti's theme evolves into a continually descending passage that describes his weariness. Angelotti's sister, the Marchioness Atavanti, has left the key to her husband's family chapel hidden at the base of a statue of the Madonna. Angelotti finds the key and hides in the chapel. The tension is relieved by the arrival of the sacristan, who carries paintbrushes which he's been cleaning. The sacristan is a comic character who, according to Puccini, suffers from a nervous twitch. You'll hear the twitch in the sacristan's theme. The sacristan complains about cleaning the brushes. Then he notices that the basket of food and wine he had left for Cavaradossi is untouched. The bells of the Angelus sound, and the sacristan kneels and reverently recites the ritual prayer in honor of Mary. Bells and prayer are an integral part of the score, reflecting the ever-present religious heritage of Rome. As the sacristan finishes his prayer, Cavaradossi arrives to work on his painting. Cavaradossi's entrance music tells us all we need to know about him. His theme is elegant as befits an aristocrat, and it's open, virile, and confident. The entrance music concludes with a hint of the love theme, which we'll hear in his duet with Tosca later in the act. In other words, the orchestra tells us that Cavaradossi is thinking about his lover. The love theme. Cavaradossi uncovers the painting, and the sacristan is surprised to see the portrait of an unknown woman who recently came to pray. As Cavaradossi begins to paint, he sings a short aria, Ricondita Armonia, in which he praises the harmony of beauty, whether that beauty be brunette, like Tosca, or blonde and blue-eyed, like the unknown woman in his painting. The melody he sings defines Cavaradossi as a romantic hero, and the aria makes it clear that he loves Tosca passionately and that her impending jealousy is unfounded. Meanwhile, the sacristan grumbles about Cavaradossi's irreligious attitude. Gloria, 
The sacristan notices that the picnic basket is full, and Cavaradossi says he's not hungry. When the sacristan leaves, Angelotti, thinking he's alone, emerges from the chapel. Cavaradossi recognizes him and offers to help. Their encounter is interrupted almost immediately by the sound of Tosca's voice, calling Mario from off stage. We resume listening as Angelotti tells Cavaradossi he's too weak to go on, and the painter gives him the picnic basket to take with him into the Atavanti chapel. Right after Cavaradossi's words, in questo panier ve cibo e vino, in this basket there's food and wine for you, listen for a snatch of the sacristan's theme in the orchestra, just enough to give the audience a clue that the link between the sacristan and the basket will prove to be significant. Then Tosca calls her lover's name three times. Son qui, he answers, I'm here, and we'll hear Tosca's theme, a theme that describes her piety. It's played by a solo flute and solo cello two octaves apart, with pizzicato arpeggios lending an air of femininity, reflecting the grace of the diva. Tosca is suspicious because she heard whispering, and her comments are terse, sung almost entirely on one pitch for each phrase, as though she were speaking through clenched teeth. Why is the door locked? To whom were you speaking? When she insists she heard the rustling of a skirt, we'll hear a rustling sound in the orchestra. We know that's what Puccini intended, because tremolo violins are instructed to play with the bow near the bridge of the instrument and the wood on the strings for only two measures, the measures in which Tosca mentions the rustling sound. She calms down, and the orchestra repeats her pious entrance music as she goes to place flowers at the Madonna statue. We begin with the end of the conversation between Cavaradossi and Angelotti. The rustling sound. She places flowers at the statue of the Madonna.
Tosca tells Cavaradossi they'll meet after her command performance that evening and go to his little villa together. We'll be alone, she says, all alone. Soli, soletti. Cavaradossi answers, Stasera? Tonight? Just before he says those words, the orchestra plays a fragment of Angelotti's theme, indicating that Cavaradossi's mind is on the escaped prisoner. Right after that, we'll hear one of those brief lyrical passages that Puccini often places in the midst of conversational music. Tosca speaks of their rendezvous that evening, when the moon is full and a heavy fragrance intoxicates the heart, and the melody she sings is sensual. Cavaradossi agrees to meet her, but insists he must get back to work. Tosca is taken aback, and when she notices a blonde woman with blue eyes as the figure of Mary Magdalene in his painting, She's furious and deeply hurt. Tosca recognizes the woman, the Marchioness Atavanti, and Cavadadossi explains he's never met her. She had come to pray, and he sketched her face for the painting. Tosca sighs. Ah, quegli occhi! Oh, those eyes! Cavadadossi assures her that no eyes on earth can compare with Tosca's dark eyes. The warm, expansive melody he sings will be used effectively later in the opera. With this melody, the duet becomes an outpouring of lyricism, a radiant expression of love. Cavaradossi gently teases Tosca about her jealousy. To the music of the love theme, she says she's sure he'll pardon her jealousy because he sees her pain. He responds that he worships her, and his words are also sung to the love theme.
When Tosca leaves, Angelotti reemerges from the chapel. He tells Cavaradossi that his sister left woman's clothing under the chapel altar for him, including a fan, clothing he can use as a disguise in his escape. Cavaradossi now understands that the woman who seemed to be praying so devoutly, the woman who unwittingly became the model for his depiction of Mary Magdalene, was actually there to help her brother. Angelotti adds that his sister would do anything to rescue him from Scarpia. On hearing the name of Rome's chief of police, Cavaradossi denounces him and promises to save Angelotti, even if it means his own life. The orchestra repeats the Scarpia chords three times. The two men are startled by the sound of a cannon from Castel Sant'Angelo, signaling that a prisoner has escaped, and they rush off to Cavaradossi's villa together. The sacristan returns with a group of choristers who are preparing to sing a Te Deum, a religious hymn of praise and rejoicing, in honor of Napoleon's defeat. The choir boys become rambunctious, and they sing a carefree tune in 6-8 time. They're interrupted by the arrival of Scarpia, along with his henchman Spoletta, and several other police agents. At this moment, the last note of the choir boy's song becomes the first chord of Scarpia's theme, a theme repeated again and again as he scolds the choristers for creating such an uproar in church, then orders his men to search the premises. The contrast between the playful chorus and Scarpia's theme is jarring, the repetition of Scarpia's theme unnerving, this is one of opera's great theatrical moments. Scarpia finds a fan with the Atavanti crest on it in the chapel. He questions the sacristan, who's surprised that the gate to the chapel was open, and even more surprised that the basket was found there, and it's empty. He tells Scarpia that he always left a meal for Cavaradossi, and that the painter had said he wasn't hungry. These are the clues Scarpia needs to link Cavaradossi to Angelotti. Scarpia wants to apprehend the painter not only for political reasons, but because the police chief wants Tosca for himself. When Tosca returns to apologize to Cavaradossi for her jealousy, Scarpia tells her he found a fan on the artist's scaffold near the painting. Tosca recognizes the Atavanti crest, and she's convinced that Cavaradossi is unfaithful. Meanwhile, people begin to crowd into the church for the Te Deum. Tosca leaves, and Scarpia orders his men to follow her as the first act finale begins. The finale reflects the splendor of Rome as the center of Catholicism. Despite the grandeur of the scene, however, the dramatic focus is on the mind of Scarpia. Several layers of sound are introduced, many of them simultaneously. Scarpia's voice, church bells calling the people to the Te Deum, a cannon saluting the victory over Napoleon, the organ played off stage, the orchestra, and the chorus. 
As the finale begins, church bells sound, and Scarpia gives orders to Spoletta in terse phrases, almost entirely on one pitch. The orchestra plays a solemn melody, and it's echoed by the organ. Scarpia says, Va, Tosca! Go, Tosca! Scarpia is making a nest in your heart. Respiri, una carrozza, presto, seguila dovunque vada, non visto, non vedi, va bene, segno, palazzo farnese. The finale becomes more spectacular, both visually and musically, as the cardinal's procession enters. Scarpia is now totally immersed in his desire for Tosca, and his vocal line becomes increasingly passionate at the thought of conquering her. His lust is loathsome, particularly amid the sights and sounds of a religious ceremony. As the procession begins, the people in the church murmur a spoken prayer. The sound of speech adds to the sonority in the atmosphere, but Puccini, with his uncanny sense of timing, saves the majestic Te Deum for the very end of the scene. When the chorus starts to sing the hymn, the bells, the cannon, the organ, and the orchestra continue to sound. At the climax of the Te Deum, Scarpia cries out, Tosca mi fai dimenticare Dio! Tosca, you make me forget God! The orchestra drops out, except for horns and trombones that play in unison with the chorus, and as a result, the music seems to soar at this climactic moment. On the last note of the Te Deum, the orchestra plays the first chord of the Scarpia theme. The theme is played three times, quickly, loudly, reaffirming the power of the tyrant as Act One comes to a close. We resume as Scarpia expresses his desire for Tosca. Puccini instructs the baritone to sing this passage ferociously, then wildly, as Scarpia imagines making love to Tosca, while Cavaradossi goes off to the gallows.
two takes place later that evening in Scarpia's quarters in the Palazzo Farnese, an elegant 16th-century palace in the heart of Rome. Scarpia is seated at a table, having supper, and mulling over his plans to capture both Angelotti and Cavaradossi. He tells his orderly, Sharone, to open the window. A royal party celebrating the supposed victory over Napoleon is in progress in the courtyard below, and Tosca will be the soloist in a cantata written for the occasion. The sound of a gavotte can be heard emanating from the courtyard. The gavotte, played off stage by a flute, viola, and harp, is the epitome of civility and grace. The elegance of this courtly dance provides a stunning contrast to the somber atmosphere of Scarpia's quarters. Scarpia sends Sharone off with a note for Tosca, and in the aria that follows, the police chief mocks romantic love and reveals that he prefers a violent conquest to making love to a woman who consents. Spoletta enters with the news that he and his men followed Tosca to a villa. They didn't find Angelotti there, but they apprehended Cavaradossi. Scarpia orders Spoletta to bring him in, along with a judge and the torturer, both mute roles. The interrogation theme is introduced as Spoletta goes off to get Cavaradossi. Scarpia and Cavaradossi confront one another in a series of taut phrases, and a staccato, offbeat orchestral accompaniment adds to the tense atmosphere on stage. While off stage, the cantata is in progress. The menacing interrogation theme and the delicate cantata are heard simultaneously, and the interrogation theme is repeated over and over as Scarpia questions Cavaradossi. Again, contrast and repetition, Puccinian techniques that give this opera much of its dramatic impact. The interrogation theme. The confrontation becomes increasingly hostile. As the cantata reaches its climax, Scarpia slams the window shut, abruptly truncating the elegant music. He warns Cavaradossi that his refusal to cooperate will result in great anguish. When Tosca arrives, Scarpia immediately sends Cavaradossi to the torture chamber. Then he asks Tosca about her visit to the villa. Although she now knows that Angelotti is hidden in a well on the grounds of the villa, she answers offhandedly that the whole incident was nothing but petty jealousy. Tosca hasn't yet come to grips with the reality of what awaits her lover. As Scarpia describes the metal ring encircling Cavaradossi's head, a new theme is introduced, the torture theme. It's repeated relentlessly, and Tosca finally understands the extent of Scarpia's brutality. 
we resume, as Tosca says, with almost coquettish charm, that she would have to lie if she admitted knowing anything. Then the torture theme is introduced in both orchestra and voice, as Scarpia describes the instruments of torture. Although Cavaradossi's torture takes place off stage, the composer wrote such vivid music for this scene that the audience becomes immersed in imagining what's happening in the torture chamber. Tension mounts steadily as Scarpia orders the torture intensified and the theme resumes more powerful than before. He demands that Tosca reveal Angelotti's hiding place. She begs him to stop the torture, and her voice rises in a crescendo of sound that culminates in a wrenching outcry, an outcry that ends wearily as she moans, Non posso più, I can't bear it any more. The sweep of the melody captures her suffering, her overwhelming desperation. Then Cavaradossi cries out in pain, and Tosca implores her lover to permit her to divulge Angelotti's whereabouts. <laughs> Tosca's resolve is eventually shattered by what the composer describes as a long and violent outcry from Cavaradossi. She reveals Angelotti's hiding place, and Scarpia orders his men to stop the torture. Cavaradossi is carried into the room. He has fainted, and as he regains consciousness, Tosca kisses him and tries to comfort him. The tender scene between the lovers lasts for only a few lines. Tension erupts again as Scarpia barks out the location of Angelotti's hiding place, and that tension builds rapidly as Cavaradossi turns on Tosca, angry that she betrayed Angelotti, and Sharone enters to report that, contrary to the initial news, the Battle of Marengo was a victory for Napoleon Bonaparte, not a defeat. Cavaradossi is overjoyed. Vittoria, Vittoria, he says, and the second Vittoria rings out on a high A-sharp. Ironically, this moment of triumph brands him as a traitor and triggers his death sentence. Scarpia charges him with treason and orders that he be hanged. Tosca protests, and the orchestra pours out the music of her desperation con tutta forza, with full force, 
as Scarpia's agents dragged Cavaradossi from the room. After this highly emotional scene, the dynamic level subsides. Scarpia invites Tosca to sit down at the dinner table with him, to chat, to have a little wine. His suave invitation is jarring, his surface civility nerve-wracking. Tosca bargains for Cavaradossi's life. She offers money, and Scarpia laughs. He wants Tosca herself. Another theme is introduced here, the theme of his lust, which we'll hear later in this scene. Scarpia's advances soon evolve into a scene of attempted rape, a harrowing scene interrupted by a distant drumroll announcing preparations for Cavaradossi's execution. The sound of the drums fades away, providing a gradual transition to Tosca's famous aria, Visidarte. The action comes to a standstill here, and Puccini had second thoughts about using the aria, but decided to retain it. The aria provides a lyrical respite from the violence. Visi d'arte, visi d'amore, says Tosca. I lived for art, I lived for love, I've never hurt anyone. The aria is a deeply personal prayer, and the melody she sings resembles a series of exhausted sighs. After the aria, Puccini wastes no time in building momentum again. Tosca pleads with Scarpia for mercy, but he resumes his advances. Unlike the extensive scene of pursuit that preceded the aria, this one lasts for only a few lines. Spoletta interrupts with the news that Angelotti has committed suicide. And when Scarpia asks about Cavaradossi, Spoletta assures him that all is ready. Scarpia turns to Tosca and simply says, Ebene? Well... Silently, Tosca nods her assent. Just a gesture, nothing more. Yet enough to seal the pact between them. She will let Scarpia make love to her, and he, in turn, will spare Cavaradossi's life. When Tosca demands that Cavaradossi be freed immediately, Scarpia tells her that he cannot grant a public pardon. There must be a mock execution. The execution theme, consisting of only two staccato notes, is introduced here. Scarpia orders Spoletta to arrange a mock execution before a firing squad, like Count Palmieri. The execution theme is repeated, harshly this time, like a warning. We never learn who Count Palmieri is, but judging from the outcome of the story, he also must have agreed to a mock execution and was subsequently killed. Spoletta leaves, and Scarpia approaches Tosca. She insists that he give her a safe conduct pass, so she and Cavaradossi will be permitted to leave Rome. As Scarpia writes, a new theme is introduced, the theme of the pact. Conversation is minimal. What route will you take, he asks. 
The shortest, she answers. The packed theme is repeated. During the orchestral passage that follows, Puccini indicates that Tosca sees a knife on the supper table. She takes it and hides it behind her back. Then the orchestra plays the theme of Scarpia's lust. It's rising arpeggios growing louder as he lunges at her, saying, Tosca finalmente mia, Tosca mine at last. She stabs him, and from this point on they literally shout at one another. He curses her, and she screams, Questo il bacio di Tosca, this is Tosca's kiss. The music is fortissimo, heavily accented, played, according to Puccini, con violenza, violently. We begin with the theme of the pact. She sees the knife and picks it up. She hides the knife. The lust theme. Scarpia gasps his last breath, Tosca looks for the safe conduct pass and finds it clenched in his hand. All the action is mimed to orchestral music that recalls the moments before the murder, when Scarpia was writing that pass. Finally, the ever-pious diva puts a candle on either side of Scarpia's body and a crucifix on his chest, as Tosca cautiously leaves the room. Act three takes place in Castel Sant'Angelo, a massive second-century fortress and former prison located near St. Peter's, just before dawn, and the opening is a prime example of Puccini's genius for creating atmosphere in music. The orchestra paints an idyllic picture of the pre-dawn hours, when stars are still visible in the sky. The music consists of a series of crisp descending chords and creates a much-needed respite from the violence of the second act. Cavaradossi enters 
and unison strings introduce a melody that will become the basis of his aria, E Lucevan le Stelle. Under that melody is the sound of the final bell, the lowest one, the great bell of St. Peter's known as the Campanone, played on E natural below the staff, the exact pitch of the actual bell. The jailer tells Cavaradossi that a priest is available to hear his last confession. Cavaradossi refuses the offer, then asks the jailer for permission to write a farewell letter to the woman he loves. He gives the jailer his ring in exchange for a promise to deliver the letter to Tosca. The jailer leaves, and the love theme is played by the strings as Cavaradossi silently tries to write the letter, but he's overwhelmed by memories of his lover. The aria begins as a recollection of the lover's last night together, then becomes a cry of desperation. A solo clarinet states the melody. Cavaradossi is mesmerized by the thought of Tosca's arrival at the villa the night before. E lucevan le stelle, and the stars were shining, he says. The earth smelled sweet. I heard the orchard gate open, and I could sense her fragrance. The clarinet continues to carry the melody and the vocal line is naturalistic, a series of phrases each sung on a single pitch, until Cavaradossi recalls their kisses and caresses, o dolci baci, o languide carezze. Then the vocal line assumes the melody played by the clarinet, a melody that expresses the fullness of Cavaradossi's emotions. The aria goes from naturalistic murmurs to expansive lyricism, from interiorized memories to an expression of intense emotions. The climax of the aria comes with Puccini's words, Moyo disperato. But desperation turns to joy when Tosca enters and the lovers are ecstatically reunited. She describes the horrendous scene of Scarpia's murder and tells Cavaradossi about the safe conduct pass and the mock execution. Their duet captures both the joy of their reunion and Tosca's concern about the mock execution. 
In some productions, when Tosca tells Cavaradossi there must be a mock execution, he understands what's really meant by that. In others, he remains as guileless as Tosca. In any case, the duet assumes a dreamlike quality as they talk about being together again. Cavaradossi is ardent and tender. Tosca is apprehensive. Ironically, as an actress, she's afraid that her lover won't fall convincingly before the firing squad, that he might hurt himself in the process. And when she expresses her anxiety, the orchestra softly plays the execution theme. The librettists ended the duet with a lover singing of their triumph, saying that the soul will soar with love's ecstasy. Puccini added another line, an intimate, poetic line for Tosca. Gli occhi ti chiuderò con mille baci, e mille ti dirò nomi d'amore. I'll close your eyes with a thousand kisses, and I'll call you a thousand names of love. On the last note of this line, the clock strikes and the jailer enters. Cavaradossi tells the jailer he's ready, and Tosca watches as preparations are made for the supposedly mock execution. The final scene is concise and harrowing. A squad of soldiers files into the sound of a march. That march, brief to an extreme, basically consists of a single phrase, two measures long. This phrase is repeated, then it's followed by an auxiliary phrase of enormous pathos. Since the entire march takes only moments to play, the repetition is frequent, persistent. And while the march is droning on, Tosca expresses her anxiety in short, nervous phrases. When the firing squad gets into position, the execution theme is played loudly, then even more loudly, more harshly, like a futile warning as the soldiers are about to fire. Come bello il mio Mario, says Tosca. How handsome my Mario is. Ironic words, followed by shots. And then an even more ironic line. La muori, ecco un artista. There, die. Now there's an actor. The march blares out in the full orchestra now, fortissimo, and the auxiliary phrase is even louder, thrust higher than before by a change in key, revealing the tragic truth to the audience long before Tosca knows it. As the soldiers leave, Tosca warns Cavaradossi not to move, and the march is gradually reduced to just a few notes. The soldier's exit takes a little more than a minute, but the incessant repetition of the march, more fragmented each time, makes the waiting interminable. As soon as the soldiers have left, Tosca discovers that Cavaradossi has been killed. Then she hears the sound of Spoletta and his men coming to arrest her for the murder of Scarpia. There's almost no text here, just shouts from the soldiers and Scarpia's men. The orchestra graphically describes the action as the men climb up the stairs, and Tosca rushes up to the parapet. She cries out, O Scarpia, before God, then leaps to her death, as the full orchestra plays the melody of Cavaradossi's final aria, and the curtain quickly falls. We resume with the march as the firing squad files in.
The firing squad gets into position. once wrote, Almighty God touched me with his little finger and said, Write for the theater, mind you only for the theater, and I have obeyed the divine command. If ever Puccini obeyed, it was with Tosca, an opera in which drama comes to life in music that's powerful, passionate, and supremely theatrical. Thank you so much for listening to episode 36 of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast. After hearing about Tosca's exciting drama and beautiful musical moments, I hope you'll feel compelled to go see the Live in HD Encore next week in theaters on Wednesday, June 22nd. On next week's episode, we will be preparing you for another upcoming HD Encore performance, this time the sparkling bel canto comedy La Lazire d'Amore by Donizetti. Make sure you subscribe to the Met Opera Guild podcast in order to get automatic downloads of this episode and all future episodes. That wraps things up for today, so I wish everyone a wonderful week and a very happy summer solstice, the first official day of summer, and we will be back with you next week with a brand new episode. I'm Naomi Baratera, your host, and thank you for listening.